that was me. I was a little frog in the water. It's cold. You're playing around. Everything is great. And then water gradually starts to heat up and you're still playing around. And then the water starts to boil and you die and you don't realize that the water is boiling and you're, you're dying. In. And that was me. The water with my husband gradually heated up and things started off where I thought were perfect. And it gradually just, it was only by the grace of God that he didn't kill me. Venus Morris Griffin is the mother of seven and a very successful realtor who, in this encore episode of the podcast, bravely shares her harrowing life story, including betrayal, abuse, infertility, addiction, mental health crises, and so much more. But despite it all, Venus has been able to create a beautiful life for herself and her children. Now, I want to offer a trigger warning for all listeners. We will be discussing the abuse that Venus endured throughout her 20-year marriage to her first husband. But her story is so inspiring, and it shows that the bad things that happen to us don't have to define us. I first heard Venus's story when she shared details in a 13-post feature on the Humans of New York Instagram account, and I was riveted. After growing up in a violent home with a mom who was an addict, Venus worked two jobs and got herself to college. And that's where she met, dated, married, and started a family with Trip Morris. Although there were signs of abuse during their engagement, things really began to unravel 20 years later when she received a phone call in the middle of the night, which revealed her husband's double life. All was uncovered and he was sentenced to 45 years in prison, leaving Venus in tremendous amounts of debt while being the sole provider and caretaker for their six children. In this episode, Venus shares how she dealt with that betrayal and how her faith and hard work helped her not only survive, but thrive. And recently, she sent me an update about all of the amazing things happening in her family since we recorded earlier last year. A wedding, growing grandkids, college graduation, an internship on Wall Street, and lots and lots of sports. And when I asked how she was doing, she said, me, well, I'm still the same, trying to figure out life and committed to being happy no matter what life throws my way. I've been separated for two years and divorced for one year, and I've started dating again. Life is good. She's incredible. You are going to love her story. But before we get to the conversation, I just have to tell you about some remarkable results from a research project that we were part of. The Chapbooks team partnered with HP to conduct a study of almost 16,000 families on ways that printed photos strengthen families. And we found that looking at and talking about printed photos together as a family not only strengthens feelings of connection and closeness, but it also fosters self-esteem in children, and it helps parents feel like they're doing a good job. I love how in this episode, Venus also talks about how printed photos helped strengthen her family, too. To strengthen families, that is our mission at Chatbooks. Open the Chatbooks app, start your books today, and be sure to check out our show notes for a special MomForce discount code. Hello, hello, Venus. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the MomForce. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. You have a big, beautiful family, mother of seven. 
mother of seven. Sometimes I look and I'm like, all these my kids, you know, it's, it's really amazing. It's a lot of work, but it's, it's amazing. Well, I have seven kids too. And it's part of what drew me to your story. I think we have a lot of common and I turned 50 this year and I just turned 50. Please tell me that 50 is the new 40. How, how is it? <laughs> you know, I always say I just want to be the best version of myself every year. So I, I love it. You know, I, I feel like I'm 20 still in my mind and, you know, I'm active, I'm healthy. So I'm, I love it. What about you? Well, my husband turned 50 yesterday. And every time someone would say that word 50, I'd be like, oh my gosh, that's old. We're old. (laughs) But I'm like you in my mind. I'm still in my 20s. How old are your children? My oldest is 27. He actually shares a birthday with my husband. He just turned 27. And my youngest is 14. What are the ages of your children now? So my my oldest graduates dental school Friday. It's exciting. He's twenty six. I have a twenty four year old who is an accountant. I have a twenty two year old who's a junior in college. She wants to be an occupational therapist. And I have a twenty year old who is a sophomore in college, or maybe actually yeah, sophomore in college, and she wants to go to law school. And I have a ninth grader. She's fourteen. I have a twelve year old. That's in fifth grade. And then I have a six-year-old. I had her at 44. So she was not planned, but she's amazing. So, yeah. You know, I've got kindergarten to graduate dental school to college to high school to middle school. So I've got kind of every age. And it's crazy fun. Last night I got home from work. I'm grilling hamburgers and hot dogs. And, like, my third and fourth child have, like, ten friends over in the pool and you know, just hanging out. It's just really, it's my greatest, as you know, it's my greatest accomplishment, even though I really can't take credit for them. It's just really the best blessing that I could ever have hoped for. So, yeah. Well, Venus, you have an incredible story. And I was first aware of your story when it was shared on Humans of New York. And I have since read articles and listen to podcasts you've been on. And I'm so impressed with how you've been able to create this beautiful life that you are so grateful for when your life wasn't always so dreamy, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I tell people one of the reasons I share my story is people look at me and they think I've had a silver spoon in my mouth. You know, I drive up in this black Porsche, I'm in a suit, you know, I'm fit you know, they look at me and they think, gosh, she's had life handed to her. And and I share my story because I want people to know it's just the opposite. I've pretty much my whole life just struggled to to live, just to survive. And, um, you know, I share my story because I think if people really knew what was behind Venus, then that can help them when they, we all have adversity and challenges throughout life. And I think sharing my story will help other people get through their own trauma and and darkness and see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. So, Well, I'm so grateful that you are willing to do that and you see that perspective. But for those of you that don't yet know your story, can you start by telling us a little bit about what your childhood was like? And when did you first become aware that it was different from that of your friends? So I had a very tough childhood and I have a wonderful mother, but she struggled with addiction her entire life, prescription drugs, alcohol, you name it in and out of jail at dark times in her life where she would shoplift, you know, just insurance fraud, just anything to find a way to 
satisfy that addiction that she had. And one of my earliest memories I've shared with humans in New York was, you know, as a small child, watching my mother's fingernails and if they turned blue to call 911 because that meant she wasn't breathing. And, you know, there's always a story behind everything. Um, she had multiple sclerosis, which she didn't have multiple sclerosis. She was overdosed, you know, or when we're filing or she's filing false insurance claims, you know, we, we think people have broken in the house. And I've got these crazy stories I'm telling at school, not realizing that the stories are so crazy that anybody that didn't have a crazy life would see that they're crazy. And I had a light bulb moment as a very small child, probably grammar school. And I was telling the story of my mother, me coming home and my mother saying we'd been broken into, everything was stolen. And so I was telling my friend this at school and she says, Venus, have you ever thought, like you have these really wild stories. So I had a light bulb moment. I'm like, okay, they're gonna think I'm like a liar. And it was, and I'm crazy. And I'm like, this isn't the way it is for everyone. And so then I started just kind of watching my surroundings and I didn't really know uh, what I wanted in life, but I saw enough of what I didn't want to take a different path. You know, my brother, we all handle adversity differently. I just remember watching him going to in and out of boys' homes to be sentenced to maximum security prison just for crazy things. And, and he's, even as of yesterday, you know, my brother calls me and says, or his wife calls me, they're in Florida now because he gets fired from his jobs because he steals and they, they do lots of things they shouldn't do. And, you know, his wife's calling me, asking me to send them money. And I'm like, no, they're like, we know you're wealthy and you give money to complete strangers and you won't even help your own brother. And I said, you know what? I said, I've given you guys money for years and years, and I'm happy to do that. I said, but but what you don't get is by me giving you money, it hurts you, it doesn't help you. And I said, I give money to people that are in really terrible situations due to no fault of their own. They have morals, they have a drive and they're in terrible situations. I said, I don't help people that don't want to help themselves and are looking for a handout because you know, this sounds awful, but they're telling me they live in a tent, but they lie so much. You never know what to believe, what not to believe. But he just repeated the pattern, repeated the pattern, repeated the pattern, and still is repeating the pattern. I mean, he's, you know, I'm 50. He's 10 years older than me. Uh, and then my sister, you know, the last time I saw my sister, she was, she was in a mental hospital. And uh, I remember visiting her and she was trying to convince me why she worked there. And, and I knew she's the patient. I had to check in. I've got a little name tag and she's sitting there telling me she's working there. And so while I didn't know what I wanted or what a real family looked like, other than I always had a boyfriend and um, my boyfriends always had wonderful families that I looked at and kind of watched. I knew what I didn't want, which is I didn't want to do drugs. I didn't want to do alcohol. I didn't want to be what I was witnessing everyone in my life choose. So it's interesting you and your siblings, you know, raised in the same conditions and by the same mother, but with very different outcomes. Uh, for me, my relationship with my mom was fundamental in shaping who I am and what I felt like I was capable of. And I know that, like so many people, you didn't have that kind of relationship with your mom. How how did your relationship with your mother impact you? And, and why do you think it was so different for your siblings? You know, that's the million dollar question. I think it boils down to just making a choice of of who you want to be. And and I tell my kids, I said, you're going to become 
really the five people you hang out with. So always choose your friends wisely, hang out with people that are better than you. And, you know, my mom, I still, it's still a struggle. I, you know, I remember in high school, you know, she came home and she was intoxicated and I was about to leave for prom. And I just remember her coming in the bathroom and just messing my hair up, you know, right before my date got there and just told me that I looked like a SLUT and that um, I'd never be as pretty as her. And I just remember like seeing the tears come down my face and just wiping them off and then just brushing my hair and, and hearing the doorbell ring two seconds after that and deciding right there, okay, I can either let this break me or I can go have a good time. It's my, it's my junior senior prom. And I just decided I'm gonna have a good time. So I left and I had a good time, but I could have easily just cried and just mm-hmm. stayed home and, and missed a beautiful evening. Um, but I just, you know, I just chose to say, okay, this happened and it's not right. It's not fair, but what am I going to do to deal with it? I, another time driving down the interstate with my mother, I don't know why she tried to humiliate me pulling over. I was 15. I was, you know, you got your license back then and I was driving her and we pulled through Hardee's and she's like, call, she takes the keys out and I'm driving by the window. My daughter's on drugs, call 911. And so of course I'm humiliated because everyone believes the mom. They don't believe me. And so I pull over, the cops come, the ambulance, and they're, they're checking me out to make sure I'm not on drugs and I'm safe and they can clearly see my mother is. And so by the end of the little investigation, they tell my mom, man, we're going to have to take you into custody if you don't let your daughter drive because you, you cannot drive the car. And so we were driving down the interstate. I'm driving. I didn't say anything. Driving down the, I wasn't one of these children that talked back, but I just remember she had this like 20 ounce Coke and I'm driving and she throws it in my face and I'm driving. And I just remember just wiping the Coke, never, never looking to this. Cause I wasn't going to let her break me. And, you know, I knew I knew that she was under the influence because when she wasn't under the influence, she was very kind to me. You know, she had lots of beautiful qualities. She, she still does. You know, as recently I, I made her move out a year ago, I have a cottage behind my house and I, I had to go to court and evict her. And, you know, everybody, I'm like, people know me in Augusta and it's humiliating. I'm look, I'm this real estate mongol evicting my mother, but what they don't know is, you know, my 20 year old's calling me from work. Mom, mom, I think grandma Judy's done it this time. She's not breathing. My housekeeper's calling, you know, she, she overdosed on prescription medications again, that are so liberally given by these, some of these crazy doctors. And, you know, I'll come home and I see my kids, my, my housekeeper just, you know, she does this all the time. And Drew's like, no, mom, really? And then my housekeeper's like, no, Venus, your mom's breathing. And she's like very shallow breathing. And so the ambulance drives up and they're just casually walking to the cottage because they come there every week. Mm -hmm. So they don't realize that she's really like on the verge of dying here. And so I'm like running out there. My kids are all watching this. I'm running there. I'm like, okay, you got to run like this. She's really not. So then they start running there and they have to like narc her to get her back breathing and take her of course to the hospital. But at that point I said, okay, like this is not good. So I I evicted my mother and 
I still try to be kind to her, but she, she lives in an apartment uh, complex and I try to be kind to her, but it's, it's very difficult, but I, I, I love her. But I had a therapist tell me years and years ago when I was putting her in a rehab, she says, Venus, you can spend the rest of your life trying to take care of your mother and you're going to end up in just a very unhappy state and you're, you're never going to change her. And so I just, I just love her for who she is. And detach myself from her like I've always done and pray for her because it's never too late. She's 74 years old and just, you know, take care of my children and my, my children, you know, have witnessed me still being a good daughter despite her trespassing me. So, well, these relationships are so, so complicated and enduring. I mean, we can't underestimate the impact that our earliest relationships have on who we are today. And honestly, no child deserves to endure what you went through. And clearly, it's a sign that your mother was not mentally well. But was there ever a time based on your childhood that you thought you would never want children? Or did you did you always know that you wanted a big family to make up for your loss? So actually, my husband and I could not have children. Right. You used a sperm donor. I thought I was going to go to law school and I was going to be a career woman. Once you have fertility issues, for me, it, it completely changes the way you look at these beautiful souls that God gives you. It's it's a game changer. And when Tripp and I first got married, we weren't sure, you know, we were told that he could not have children. But when we were confirmed that he couldn't have children, we toyed with adoption, but ultimately decided to do the donor. And so we had the first six children with the, the same donor. And it took, for my first child, it took me eight inseminations to get pregnant, four for my second child, uh, two for my third child. And then for my fourth, fifth, and sixth, I got um, pregnant at the first try. And so once I had my son, my oldest son, who's graduated from dental school, I just remember, because I didn't think we, I didn't think we were going to have one. I mean, eight inseminations, that's a lot. Most people quit before eight inseminations. And I just remember when I got pregnant and had him, I'm just like, like, this is why God put me here. I mean, it was just a game changer. My whole life went from being self-centered and focused on I want to be this ultra successful businesswoman attorney to, I just want to be a mom. And that's mm -hmm. the most important job in the world. And so from there, we had four, four children in five years and then waited um, five years and had number five and six. When everything happened, my, my husband, despite terrible things, he, he seemed like a good father. One of the reasons I married him is because we would have all of his nieces and nephews birthday parties at our house. He'd take them on a tractor and ride through the woods and we'd have hide and seat in the dark at our house and have 15 kids spend the night. And it was just, you know, really it was the happiest time of my life. I, re I remember sitting, we lived in a one bedroom the first 10 years we were married. And I remember we closed in a porch and put two sets of bunk beds. But I remember sitting on our back deck and thinking, this is the happiest I've ever been in my entire life. Like even at, I'm, I'm happy now. I'm very happy, but just that one, probably that's the only one distinct moment in time where I can vividly remember thinking I could have $10 million and nothing compares mm. to having these children and just sitting here and being their mom. Oh my goodness. Yes. There's nothing better than being surrounded by your family. Nothing else matters. But Tripp, 
he wasn't the man that you thought he was even back then. Can you go back to when you met him in college? One of the things that you said about him in the Humans of New York story was that he was 90% good and 10% bad. And I'm wondering if now in hindsight, would you have done anything different? See, my kids are older and they're starting to get married and it's wonderful and it's exciting, but it is also so scary. You have kids that are in the same stage of life. What advice do you give them? So, you know, looking back now, you know, I thought it was 90% good and 10% bad, but I think my perception was incorrect because of the traumatic childhood I had. Mm -hmm. And so what I thought was normal behavior as a husband and a wife um, was not normal and it wasn't 90% good and and 10% bad. Someone recently told me, have you ever heard the analogy of the frog in the water? Yes. Yeah. That was me. I was a little frog in the water. It's cold. You're playing around. Everything is great. The water gradually starts to heat up and you're still playing around. And then the water starts to boil and you die and you don't realize that the water is boiling and you're, you're dying. And that was me. The water with my husband gradually heated up and things started off where I thought were perfect. And it gradually just, it was only by the grace of God that he didn't kill me. When I met Tripp, we were, I mean, he was so good looking, so smart, so funny. He could dance. That was always like, if you could dance, that was really just like, I love guys that can dance because most guys can. He was so cute. He was, when he walked in the room, like people gravitated to him. I mean, just president of his fraternity, you know, he was just, they called him the killer in college, you know, mm-hmm. just fun, like genuine. He made you feel like you were the only person in the room. And, you know, I thought that I had hit the lottery because he adored me. You know, he was just doting over me, just anything that I wanted, needed. He was just Prince Charming. You know, women say that and everybody else around him can see they're not and they're really a jerk. Well, everybody went trip. You know, everybody did. My own family, they loved him more than they did me. I've got this very straightforward just personality. And he was amazing in so many ways. And we had, you know, when we started having our children, he he was very hands-on. He coached all the football teams. He coached the basketball teams. He was co-president of the PTA, PTA with me. We were, you know, we sat on the front row at church. We went to lunch together every day. There was none of those big signs that you think you should get this big red stop sign. It was yeah. the gradual frog that that got me in, in my children. And I just, you know, from before the day before we got married, just cussing me out in the car in front of my cousin over me telling him we shouldn't do an open bar because we couldn't afford an open bar. Just gradually getting cussed out as a wife to, you know, getting shoved into the bathtub and not being able to walk. And, you know, then him apologizing profusely in front of the children, sitting everybody down. You've got the best mom in the whole world. Uh, I'm going to get better. Daddy's daddy's sick to, you know, watching the pressure of the outside world. He was taking over his parents' business and it just, I thought they were putting too much pressure on him. I thought that's where his stress and all of this stuff was coming from. I didn't realize I didn't realize what was really happening. And so we were, you know, he'd, he'd shoot a gun and act like he killed himself or try to hang himself. And mm-hmm. like, I am desperately, I'm, I was really, really religious. And, and with my faith 
you know, faith is a beautiful thing. It's what saved my life, but it also kept me in a bad situation because, you know, I was committed for better, for worse, for sickness and death. And there are some deal breakers. You know, you can't be abused as a woman. And that's what my story, the impact of my story, I want to help other women that you've got to know your value and your worth and, and, and see those big red blocks and, and leave. Yeah. Like even before you get married, if you're getting cussed out the day before your wedding, that, that should be a red flag, but maybe you didn't recognize it because of what you were used to. I did, but you know, I, um, everybody was coming the next day, you know? So how do you, you know, I've got the dress I've got, I mean, how do you bail out on that? And what I had still was so much better than what I grew up with. You know, it's just hard. I got a Mother's Day card yesterday from him in prison. So I send him, I still send him pictures of the children like a couple of times a year. Um, And my friends say to me, you know, how do you do that? And I said, you know, I just, I treat him like he's a human. Just, I'm not doing anything crazy. I'm just extending the same grace that I would want someone to extend to me if I were mentally ill. Can we read it to you? Yes. Yes, so please. This, I got this yesterday. It says, Dear V, thank you. Thank you for the pictures and updates you sent me for Christmas. It is always the highlight of the year for me to receive them from you. It means the world to me. It actually is my world. I have been trying to write to you before now to say thank you. No excuses. My mental health is just not good. Some things are just extremely hard for me to deal with properly. I think about you all the time, and I pray for your happiness. You deserve to be happy. Please send me more letters and pictures. Tell the kids that I love them so much. I really do hope and pray that you're happy in your life. You're a wonderful mother, and I'm so thankful the kids have you. You are truly the greatest mom I've ever seen. Thank you for those six amazing gifts that you and God gave me. I know you're extremely busy and I don't get much and don't get much rest. I just pray that you will take time to breathe sorry, and delight in the wonderful world around you that you have had a huge part in creating. Please be happy. Tell the kids I love them so much. And I love you too. Love always Trev. It's just oh my hard. Gosh. Yeah, it's hard, you know? So, I mean, we were married 20 years and he was, he was, really awful to me, but he had lots of good to me and he recognizes that he's mentally ill and it's just, that's what makes it all so hard, you know? Yes. Yes. Mental illness is so hard, especially when it goes on unchecked and untreated. Wow. That was heartbreaking to listen to. But what a selfless act of service to continue to send him photos and updates of the children. That, that takes a lot of courage and empathy. Truly, it's it's remarkable. I know that family photos are important to you. One of my favorite parts of the Humans of New York story were the photographs of your scrapbooks. I was a big scrapbooker back in the day, too, um, and it was a real labor of love. But why was scrapbooking important to you? So I did I did that because I never wanted to forget the joy and the love that these children brought me and I wanted them to know that they were wanted and loved. And I wanted them to, you know, when you're older, you don't remember your childhood. I wanted them to see like, just, just how important they were and how significant. And, and I wanted that, I wanted to have these scrapbooks and these memories so they could 
um, when they were 20 and 30 years old so they could hopefully continue breaking the cycle of a dysfunctional family and seeing what a healthy family looked like. And I made these books reflecting the life that I wanted and I wanted them to have. And of course, the dark moments aren't in there, but it was just so important that I document everything. I, like I would write in their journals, like what they did every day. You did this, you did this, and your dad's so wonderful. We have the best family and da-da-da. It, it's I think it's so important to, you know, just take, I wanted to take a moment and, and smell the roses with them and not get so caught up in the busyness. And that was really the only way that I could think of doing it. You know, I would scrapbook like when the kids were napping, it's just amazing now to go back and have all of those memories to show them. And the kids love them as much as I do. And they're, you know, showing their friends and, you know, it's just I don't know, just kind of a little documentary of of them growing up. Oh, well, you're such a good mom. I, I was the same. I loved scrapbooking. For me, it was an important job for me to do in our family. You know, one of the big knocks for social media today is it doesn't represent what everyone's really going through, right? It's just a highlight reel. And I know for sh- sure my scrapbooks were also a highlight reel. And I'm wondering how much of your story in your childhood did you share with your children and i understand why you wouldn't scrapbook the hard things that your young family was going through but like i i think that you talking about the hard things is important learning how to spin the lessons that we learn while we go through those things when your children were young how did you handle that you know we were very uh religious and we went to church we went to bible studies we had a bible study that met for 10 years every wednesday night where my uh, husband and I would meet with other couples and talk about raising children. And with within the family, we just worked and spent time with them. It's, it's the craziest thing uh, because all of that was real. That wasn't pretend, but, but my husband had this separate life and that's where the darkness was. And, mm-hmm. and looking back now, since this has all come out, what he's done you know, he had that separate life, the whole marriage, but I, I didn't know that. And I feel like we did a lot right, but we we did a whole lot wrong. And, and you know, part of the power in my story is I share in that wrong with my children. You know, I'm, I'm responsible just like my ex-husband is. And um, that's that's very hard for me to live with, but I accept it. I forgive myself, but I should have left. And there's, you know, there's, I can't use my past as an excuse. I, I should have left him years before, but I felt trapped. I had six kids. I didn't work. I was a stay-at-home mom for 15 years. I felt like I was unemployable. And so I suffered with the abuse and I tried to shelter the kids as much as I could. One of the reasons I'm really successful at real estate is I'm good at calming people down. It can be a whirlwind around me and I can keep everybody calm. Because I had to always keep him calm so the children really didn't see that that really awful side come out yeah. of him cussing me out and yelling and throwing things and punching the walls and driving 100 miles an hour without contacts and just crazy stuff. So you, in a way, had been prepared, you know, in the way that you coped and, and helped your kids cope with this stress of living with a father with mental illness for that phone call that eventually came. Can you tell our listeners who might not know what was that phone call about and how did you handle the news in that moment? Well, I didn't believe her. 
really, when she called me, because despite the many terrible things that I'm telling you that happened within my marriage, Mm -hmm. you know, I thought he was committed to me, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and we shared our faith together. So when I got the phone call, I, I woke my son up and said, honey, you know, and he was 15 at the time. I need you to listen out for your brothers and sisters. And I got to go meet this person. And so I remember driving to meet her and I just, the whole time I thought like, who's this person trying to hurt my family? Like it never really dawned on me that, that he had done all the things that she said. I, I was there, I was going to there to take up from him. And she basically said, well, on the initial phone call, I'm calling to say what an awful man you're married to. He's been cheating on you for years and da, 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 da. And so um, when I got to the hotel, I, I knocked on the door and I'll never forget. She's fidgeting and she comes to the door and she was very small. I said, she's half the size of me and I'm small and just, I, I, I don't know. It, it's the, I look back now, it's the weirdest thing because I like connected with her and like you would think I would hate her and I'd want to just whatever, because she, she basically just burned my life in 10 seconds, took it from me thinking, okay, my husband's got some problems that I'm helping him work on to, okay, this, this is, this is bad. But I looked at her and I just saw myself in her, you know, I saw someone who hadn't gotten past their childhood, who had been abused probably their whole life because women don't just sell their bodies. They don't do that unless something's really traumatic. And she showed me pictures of my husband in compromised positions without clothes on. And so I knew she was telling the truth and the stuff she was saying. And, and he, I guess had gotten aggressive with her and started cussing her out and getting physical with her. And, and she's like, I ain't putting up with that, you know? And Mm so she just blew the whistle on him and, and he, I'll never forget, as I'm looking at the pictures, he calls and she turns the phone towards me and and I answered the phone. And that's that's how it all came out. And, you know, he's like, I'm like, I just, I can't believe you would ever do this to me and our children. You know, the prostitutes had pretty much taken everything we had. They maxed out our credit cards or there was no money in the bank accounts. Um, we didn't have a lot of money, but you know, we had enough to get by. We were in really, really bad shape. And, and your oldest was 15 and you had a nursing baby at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So when my husband went away, left, I had a one-year-old to a 15-year-old and no job. And I was in a two-bedroom. Yeah. Looking back, people say, I could never do what you did, Venus. So I'm like, well, yeah, you, you could. Because God doesn't give you the grace you need it before you need it. You will have everything you need to get through every possible devastating thing that happens to you in your life when you need it. You won't have it before, but you've got to have faith and you can't let fear paralyze you and know that when you need it, as long as you're willing to put in the hard work and and forgive the people that hurt you, you you can do it. And, And that's what my story is about. It's like, you know, this, this girl that comes from a trailer park family to thinking she's figuring it out, working two jobs to put herself through college, to marrying her college sweetheart, to 45 years in prison, to six kids, one to 15, to nothing. And yeah. figuring out how to rise above that. You know, there were some days I just wanted to die. I didn't want to get out of bed, but I did. 
I got up every morning at you know five o'clock. I ran because I I knew that I was so adverse to medicine. I was scared I'd become addicted. So I researched what would help me get out of depression um, without taking medications. And I wanted to try that first. And and I started running five miles every morning. And then I would get my six kids up and they hated it. The first year he was in prison, I made, um, I made them go to mass every morning before school, like 7 a.m. Every, every morning, even school. Every days? morning, every morning before school, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then there again, Sunday. Wow. For one year we did that and they hated it. And I said to them, I said, you know what? I said, you might not know why you're here and you might not get anything out of it. You might not feel a thing, but that one day out of seven or six, we went, something will click and, and, and you will. Well, and I've heard you talk about your faith and the role that that played, you know, through your childhood and through your life as a mother and overcoming all of the obstacles in your life. And I know faith looks different for lots of different people, but it's it's about a mindset and believing in a story that's bigger than than what you find yourself in in that moment. We we actually got a lot of questions on our Mom Force Facebook group from people that wanted to know more of the details and the nitty-gritty of your story. Yeah. One of one of them that I want to ask you, it's from Kylie. I'm wondering how Venus helped her children heal from the trauma. I know one of her daughters shared a little bit, but I'm curious how it's been over the years as they've been able to move forward and process it all a little bit more. So after my husband went to prison, I, I remember coming home from the courthouse and I remember sitting all six of them in the circle. And I said to them, I, I was very honest and I didn't sugarcoat it. And I said to them, I said, you know, I'm scared. I don't know. I don't know what the future holds, but I, the first thing we're going to do as a family is we're going to forgive your father. And we're never going to talk bad about him. He's got 45 years to serve in prison. And that is punishment enough. And we're not going to judge him. And I am going to pick myself up. I am your mother. And I am going to take care of you. I don't know what it means. And I was just, you know, my oldest son, he says, you know, mom, you do what you need to do. I'll help you raise my siblings. And we pulled together. And it, it's, you know, people think it's something big, something magical that you do to, to save your family. It's really not. It's the little things that make a difference. Yeah. I committed to my kids to working as hard as I could work. I committed to them. We had family dinner every night. And we went and said our good thing and not so good thing with all six kids and me sitting at that table. If it was the dang hot dog, you know, they knew I loved them. And I was working crazy hours, like 70 plus hours a week. But they knew I was doing it for them, and my commitment first was to them. Our faith. Faith is just a tool. It doesn't matter. I'll have a couple of my children who don't believe in the Catholic faith. And I'm like, I, I don't care. You, I don't care what you, you find, what you need to give you the strength to be who you want to be. Faith, is, it's just a tool. It's a, my Catholic faith, Protestant, Jewish. What, it's all, you know, we're all trying to get to the same place, just to be a better person. And they saw by my example, you know, we have we have people in the community. You know, I talk about my, my faith group. We met for 10 years and this three of the four couples that were in it with us never spoke to me again because they found out we used a, a sperm donor. You know, my husband's in prison and then I'll lose my church faith. 
But you know what I would tell my kids? I'd say, listen, it doesn't matter what people, we know who we are. We know who we are. And you don't listen to what people say about us. We're good people. We did nothing wrong. And we just every day just, you know, try to give people the benefit of it out. We tuned out what people were saying out about us. I still have to tune it out. And 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 just by my example of, of forgiving their dad was huge. And people ask me, how do you do that for what he did? Well, mental illness is, is no different than than being an alcoholic or, yeah. or having cancer. They're all illnesses. We just yeah. don't understand them and, and we're quicker to judge when people have those. So if you can just find forgiveness, remove yourself from that situation, you can heal from it. Yeah. And you set such a great example for your children in, in, in the way that you continue to send letters and photos to your ex-husband yeah. while he's in jail. I'm... This is 10 years later. I mean, he's been there 10, 10 years. And I'm just like, I was telling a girlfriend of mine because she was like, you're so crazy. I'm like, why do you do that? He was and I'm like, you know what? Maybe I am crazy. Maybe I am. It doesn't hurt me to do those things for him. Maybe I'm crazy. But when I look at myself and I treat other people with compassion, then in the back of my mind, when I screw up, because I screw up all the time, mm-hmm. I think they give me that same grace. So I think that brings me a lot of happiness. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so much about the mindset and you just, I think as a young girl decided to frame in your mind, the way you wanted to view the world and your place in it. And that strengthened you all through your life, even to this day where I know your life is still hard. I mean, you are now, you have a lot of hard things that you're still dealing with, but your children saw your example. You've taught them from the way that you you know, speak to them and you've shared your experiences and the way that you live your life. And that I think is a huge part on why they seem to be doing so well in light of the hard things that they've been through. Your oldest son, especially so impressed with him. He, he is amazing and so strong and has your back and isn't afraid to call you out also when you yes. need it, it sounds like. <laughs> All of them are like that. You mentioned that family dinner was really important in sharing your highs and lows, which is something our family does too. You're talking about the good thing and the bad thing that happened that day. Is there anything else that you did as a family that you continue to do now that helps strengthen you together, like traditions or rituals? You know, we, I say I work and then I'm home with them, you know, and we hang out and and now they're older. You sometimes you don't see as a mother in this, career that I'm at now, that I'm in now, I get accolades. I make a lot of money and I can feel the reward of my hard work. When you're a mom, you really don't get a paycheck sometimes until 20 years later. And what I would tell moms is you keep every day doing the little stuff, right? And you will get just the biggest paycheck 20 years down the road. If you have faith and you know that it's coming you know, for me, that moment was when my son uh, was elected president of his dental class. He has to give the opening ceremony talk to the entire faculty, to the students, all the parents, everyone's there. And at the end of it, he says, but I can't end this speech without thanking one person. And of course, everybody's looking, he's like, mom, would you stand up? And of mm-hmm. course, I, I had no idea what I was going to say. So he says, Mom, when the whole world threw the towel in us and were initially quick to support us, 
were quick to judge us and turn their back on us, you are the reason that I will be Dr. John Morris by the example that you set for me and, and you know, our, my six brothers and sisters. It's no other single mom could suddenly be a single mom of six kids and, and not miss a sporting event and, you know, come to every whatever. But he just went on and on. And by the end of it, everybody in the conference room was crying. It was the most mm. beautiful, unrehearsed, unexpected gift I've ever been given. Oh, I love that. Well, every mom feels underappreciated and undervalued at some point, but I'm glad that he gets it. Maybe we have to just wait 27 years to get that kind of payback, but totally worth it. And congratulations on all of his successes. I know every mom worries about how their kids are going to turn out. What advice would you give to a young mom who might be going through a divorce right now? You know what I would tell the young mom is to... um, Be easy on herself. Know that you've got to put the oxygen mask on yourself before you can be a good mom to your children. Meaning you've got to take care of yourself. You've got to exercise. You've got to, you know, you teach people how to treat you by the way you treat yourself. And I would say it's, it's the little things that make the big difference. It's not the fancy trips. It's not giving them materialistic things. It's just loving them, having that dinner with them talking to them. It's, it's not brain surgery. You know, it's just genuinely day to day doing the, doing the hard stuff and, and knowing that this is just a phase and it gets so much easier. People used to tell me when my kids were all little, enjoy it because it gets so much harder. Well, they are lying. (laughs) (laughs) They are lying because now my life is so much easier now that my kids are older and they all help out and, you know, but when, when you've got young kids, you're physically and you're mentally exhausted and you're afraid to admit that because you feel like you're weak and you look around and it seems like all your friends are doing it so well when the reality is everybody's trying to hide that it's just hard, but it's just a short, it's just a blink and you'll, you'll be through that. So just commit to taking care of yourself first, putting that oxygen mask on exercising every day is part of my saving grace and, um, having those dinners with your kids. Well, one of the hardest parts, I think, of, you know, going through divorce as a young mom is then being a single mom and having to provide for for your children. What advice do you have for women having to start a career with little ones? And also, what caught you into real estate? Like, I remember the part of the story where you had just had your sixth baby and Tripp wanted to know when you were going to get an effing job. And that like took my breath away. Like I, I had to stop reading yeah. at that point because I remember how vulnerable and overwhelmed I felt after having my sixth baby. But that's when you got your real estate license. Yeah. So here's what I would tell people. Don't be afraid of not being successful. It is harder to not be successful than it is to be successful. You can be, when I got into real estate, my divorce attorney said, Venus, you need to get a real job. You know, everybody, this is the housing crisis. Everybody's getting out of the business. You know, you don't know anyone in case you've forgotten. You don't get child support from prison and your family, you know, they live in trailers. You have no connections. And so I just remember, and I said to him, I said, you know what, Tim, you might be right. I might need to get a real job, but I'm going to try first. I'm going to try. You don't know what I got in me. I'm going to try. And I didn't know a soul that would let me list their house. I knocked on doors. I, you know, my son said, mom, if you commit to researching 
for an hour a day, whatever field you're studying, research shows you'll be an expert in five years. Well, I wasn't doing one hour. I, I got up. I didn't have enough money to, I had two, just a few suits that were cheap suits, but I made them look like a million dollars. And I would wash those same things, wear them. I dressed for success. I played the part. When I got an, a, a listing or an opportunity, I over-delivered. So those people were talking about me. He would tell their friends about me. It is it is so easy to be successful because most people aren't willing to put the extra in. Most people I found in this world, they, they do the minimum they need to do to keep their job to be successful. Well, if you're hungry and you're willing to work, you can start off working, sweeping floors at McDonald's to working your way up to a cashier, to working your way up to being a manager, to buying that dang McDonald's when it's all said and done. You can do anything you want to do. Don't ever... Don't ever underestimate the power of a woman in what you can do as a single mom, because I promise you, you can run circles around any man out there that doesn't have the responsibility of all these children if you set your mind to it. Yeah. And sometimes you don't know how strong you are until you're tested. But uh, (laughs) moms are strong by nature of who we are and what we've done and what we do day to day. Amazing. Well, Venus, you have been so successful in your career. You have a beautiful, amazing family. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Okay, one one last thing. We talk at Chatbooks a lot about seeing the magic in our everyday life. And sometimes life is crazy. Sometimes it's super hard. Sometimes it's stressful and messy. But there are always beautiful, magical moments amidst that. Sometimes we just need to have the eyes to see it. So can you share with us a magical moment that you've had with your family recently? Well, Mother's Day. You know, my kids know that I, I don't like materialistic things, gifts or whatever. So, you know, I get up, I crawl out of bed, and I come to the kitchen, and they've got this beautiful, my daughter is making pancakes for me. My little one's putting fruit in a bowl. My son's slashing avocados to make me avocado toast and getting me, because they're all broke. It doesn't matter how much money I have, they're still broke you know, using their money to buy food lion flowers and, and just like just their time and their talent and their love for me. Just, and I hear, you know, I hear these little whispers. My son's writing me a note saying just how they see how I've sacrificed I've given my life to make their life better. And those gifts, those things you can't buy, you can't put a price tag on. You can't, no matter how successful I get, nothing will ever compare to having these people love me and, and and me love them back and and all of us knowing that no matter what we do no matter how bad we screw up because everybody messes up that we're going to be there for each other through thick and thin and that i tell you i feel so happy most of the time. You know, I, I still get up at five o'clock in the morning. I go work out at the gym. I listen to motivational something while I'm there. I come home. I create this atmosphere for my kids. I got every morning I pay the Lion King soundtrack while I'm putting my six-year-old in the bathtub and I'm dancing around the bathroom. Aww. And it's just energy. You know, it's just those little things just that help you. And and I'll tell you what else with, with kids preparing yourself, you know, my daughter had an unplanned pregnancy at 19 and I go to college and, you know, she pees on the stick and, you know, first she's denied it. And then I find out, oh my, she's 20 weeks pregnant and oh my God, it's twins and she's 19. And, and so what do you do with that? You celebrate the life 
and and you celebrate the fact that this is just a little turn in the road. Like my son said, mom, she didn't have cancer. She's not on drugs and she's not dying. You know, so you sell it. You, I could either look at this. Oh, my God, she just turned her life. She's 19. She did that. But instead, we pull together as a family. Those twins now are five. They are the highlight of our life. It's all in the way you look at everything, good and bad. And that is the message that comes so clearly from you as you share your story. It's about the little things and it's about how you look at the curveballs that get thrown your way. That You can truly create the life you want despite the uh, inevitable bumps in the road, no matter how big they might be. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Venus, what is next for you? I hear there's a book coming. Yeah. So um, William Morris Enterprise, you heard of them? Um, yes. <laughs> so they are, are taking my um, book and I'm really excited because the literary agent that's going to promote it has been like, she thinks it'll be a bestseller all over the country. I've had formal offers for TV shows, Netflix, documentaries, I bet. and I've, I've decided to wait on all of that. Um, number one, all of my children have to be on board and I've got one of the seven who is still hesitant, but I think she'll come around, but the book is going to be out in the fall and you'll, I'm sure it'll be hopefully all over the world. Yeah. I can't wait. Very exciting. Well, thank you for being brave enough to share your story. I, I, you know, often we try to hide the, the messy parts of our life, but we can strengthen each other as we share the good and the bad in our lives. And I know I feel strengthened and I'm grateful for your example. I've learned so much from you. Well, good luck with your seven. Okay, thanks. Isn't she amazing? What a story. Hey, one more thing that I wanted to add. Venus has recently set up the Venus Morris Griffin Scholarship Fund, a fund specifically for children who have an incarcerated parent so that they can go to college for free. Incredible. I'd love to hear what you think about the episode. Let's continue the conversation over on my Instagram account. Oh, and I'm also on threads now at Vanessa Quigley. Plus, we're on TikTok at the Mom Force podcast. So many fun ways to connect. Until next time. 